Hey everyone, quick preamble uh, for RTT 127. We did get the whole episode in. We had a little bit of technical difficulty right at the end, but we did land the plane. Hope you enjoy it. You're listening to Rogue Table Talks. Here's Mike. Okay, we're off. We're back at it once again. Rogue Table Talks, number 127, RTT 127, uh, available where all your fine podcasts are sold or given away for free in our case. Uh, RogueTableTalks.com, RTT uh, on the YouTube. Uh, and uh, you're listening to us here, wherever you're listening to us. You can keep listening to it here, I suppose. Um, here we are. It's a fine. We're kind of getting, you know, kind of getting autumn here. Like sometimes we don't really. It gets really. It's hot until it gets really cold. So now we kind of have, you know, fifties, low sixties. You know, it's sort of autumnish, and so it's kind of nice. It's a sunny day. Got a little bit of color coming in. You know, it's not hot, not cold. Pretty good. Pretty good here in the heartland. Yeah. Leaves are changing. Leaves are changing. One more season. This is <clears throat> this was always my favorite time of year, and I think partly because I kind of had positive connotations about school. Like going back to school was sort of a I don't know. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was probably just sick of summer, sick of nothing to do. Um, so yeah, that's probably the deal. So anyway, I like fall. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fall's good. Um, <clears throat> So we are, um, we're in uh, Galatians. We've been in Galatians for a while. And I think we have, um, you know, what some say is Paul's most obscure passage. <clears throat> uh, one of the more obscure passages in the New Testament, I think. Um, it, it's, a, it's an obscure New Testament passage that, that uh, refers to an Old Testament passage. Um, so let me read it, and we can just kind of, you know, like I said, this may not be a real long podcast because we might run out of intelligent things to say pretty quickly. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Okay, so it's Galatians 4, starting in verse 21. And, you know, Paul is talking to these Galatians about they were saved by grace, by faith, and they want to go back to the law. It's kind of the, that's the overall back and forth of this letter. And so, <clears throat> starting in verse 21, uh, Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the, Jerus to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. <laughs> you with me so far? For it is written, yes. Old Testament reference, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, for you are not in labor. For the child of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has been. Now you, you brothers, continues like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, 
he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Okay, so. Um, Pretty straightforward. Yeah, I don't think there's much more to say. Uh, yeah, so um, there's this, you know, this sense of, um, you know, contrasting between grace and faith and the law and the Galatians' desire to keep the law and so on. And it refers to something from the Old Testament. There's uh, Abram and Sarah. Is it Abraham and Sarah yet, or is it Abram and Sarah at this point? I don't remember. But looking back, he's always called Abraham at this point. Um, and God gave a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would bear a son, and that son would be the, the bearer of the promise uh, of a people, a law, a land, the whole, all of the promises to Abraham uh, of a nation. Um, and they got impatient. The son didn't come. They got older, they got older, they got older. Abraham got to be like 90. Still no dice. And so they got impatient, and uh, Hagar, the servant woman, was used as a surrogate. And the had bore a son, but was not the son of promise. And later, miraculously, uh, Sarah um, bears her own child. In, in her extreme old age, and that's Isaac. So those are the two children. That's the you know the son of the slave woman, son of the free, you know, free woman. So that's sort of what that's coming from. And there's this sense of God made this promise that Abraham would believe by faith. And in real life, Abraham gets antsy and tries to make the promise come true, in a sense. Is that, you know, is that basically what's going on here? You got any more to add to that in terms of basic understanding of what's what the deal is here? No, that's. It seems like there's several layers going on here. There's that story which you kind of have to know that the promise would come through Abraham and Sarah, and then there's the story that uh, Abraham took matters into his own hands and said to Sarah, "Let me sleep with, uh, you know, have surrogate in his." Mm -hmm. Her maidservant Hagar. Hagar. Mm -hmm. So right, and then uh, eventually he has Isaac through Sarah. So there's these two children, one born from promise, one born from that's what the flesh would say. So yeah, you have to know that, but then you kind of have to know. He says it can be interpreted allegorically. So the allegory is each woman represents a covenant, and then you have to kind of know what what covenant he's he's talking about, and what what is the implications drawn from that covenant. That's, I think, what he's getting at. And Mount Sinai representing Hagar, which Mount uh, Sinai is where the law was given, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. Am I right on Right. That? Yeah. So that represents the law. Yeah. 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 But it's interesting to me, he doesn't, at least in this passage, he says, this is allegorically the women are two covenants. Here's the one, the law. But does he explicitly say, here's the other covenant? Well, he says... In verse 28, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Uh, I think that's as close so as he comes. 
Is that with the Abrahamic? Yes, that, that we are the children, we are the, the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham and Sarah through Isaac. Um, I think that's so what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, either, either, I was thinking either he's talking about the Abrahamic covenant or the new covenant in Jesus, but I think you're right. I think he's talking about the Abrahamic covenant, children, we are children of promise. So, you know, how many ever hundreds of years before the law was given, yes. uh, the Abrahamic covenant was made, yeah. and there was no law. Right. Yeah, and if you look at it that way, obviously the new covenant through Christ is a further fulfillment of the original Abrahamic covenant. You know, we are the children of Abraham through faith. He was, you know, he was the original um, one whose faith reckoned him as righteousness. Um, and so kind of, you know, so what he's saying is sort of, uh, it's, a, it's a, you know, kind of a long convoluted example of, hey, if you're trying to live by the law, you know, this is what the law says, uh, and you can't do it. If you could try to take the promise into your own hands and make it true yourselves, which is, you know, kind of what the Galatians were doing, which is what we can do. You know, the promise to be transformed, to promise to be made new, if we want to, like, take that thing over and make it happen ourselves, we can't do it. Um, you know, we're enslaved uh, to that. Um, that, you know, the, you know, that Ishmael, you know, the child born to Hagar, was sort of a reflection of, um, you know, nothing bad about him, per se. He didn't, couldn't do anything about it. But that was an expression of Abraham and Sarah really not, not having faith that God was going to come through, come through, getting impatient, trying to make it happen themselves, right? Um, and so, uh, so there's that's the sort of thing that you know that's the general description of what we're we're talking about. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, I kind of like to throw out there, is um, verse twenty nine, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. So, you know, that could be, again, there's probably a wide range of application or interpretation for that, that Ishmael was older and treated Isaac harshly in the story, right? Um, that the Judaizers are like Ishmael persecuting the Galatian Christians who are like like Isaac maybe. Um, I also think that within me there's like two warring factions in a sense, and in a sense, the person, you know, the me who wants to take matters into my own hand, in a sense, persecutes, you know, the me that's you know saved by grace and transformed by grace. Now that obviously is not explicitly there, but if I apply this to my life, it's not just a history lesson, either for the Old Testament or for this period in Galatia, that I think there's a bigger picture there of that is in general happening all the time. What do you think? That's a uh, you know, yeah, that's I mean, I if I was writing a commentary, I'd throw that in there, but I don't really have any proof for it. Well, I think you would if you went to Romans 7. 
and you talked about those who live uh, according to the flesh or those who live according to the spirit. And then Romans 7 talks about the war going on between the flesh and the spirit mm-hmm. within us. Mm-hmm. That we part of, there's, I, I just think when we're talking about the parts of us that constitute a person, it's, it's pretty complex. Yeah. So it's not just one self. It's probably not even just two selves. It's probably multiple representations of the self. So there's part of us that lives according to grace that works with the spirit or wants to work with the spirit. There's a part of us that uh, doesn't, that uh, wants to be law-oriented uh, or, or a part of us that wants to be flesh-oriented, wants to live according to gratify our own uh, egocentric desires or quick pleasures. So I think there is this war going on um, back and forth inside of us. That part part of us wants to be free, and we understand what that means. And maybe there's part of us that does. Mm. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, so I think that you know, a couple of points there that you know you're kind of saying we're whole people, we're whole complicated maybe people. The, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And maybe the weight of freedom and grace for part of us is too heavy to bear. So we. Yeah. Too, too much uncertainty there. Get back into the law. Yeah, because I think there's part of us that's like, well, I mean, I believe in grace, so this can't be happening to me because I believe in grace. Where that's not that simple, that I can believe in grace. You know, it's like the man mm-hmm. who says, I believe, help my unbelief. Hey, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's not just a matter of, you know, our whole self is complicated and I can believe in grace and then also part of me fighting against grace. Um, and so the, the, why is that? So I think is where you were going next. And I think that's a, I think it's a super interesting, um, super helpful, maybe like, why, why do I do that? Um, you know, the, why, what are all the reasons that I might war against, you know, try to take control and, um, you know, obviously, theologically, we're fallen people. We naturally resist God's plan. So it should not be surprised. And that's probably something to remember, that there's part of our fallen selves that's always going to kind of want to get off the train or want to take the wheel. You know, we don't want to give Jesus the wheel. I mean, even though the song says, <laughs> Jesus, yeah. take the wheel. Um, so there's that. I mean, I think so. The, it's like the garden over and over again. And, you know, that's kind of the very nature of sin, very nature of fallenness is. So it really shouldn't surprise us because obviously we do it all the time. Um, but if we get a little deeper in there, like what, you know, what else is going on? Um, and I think, as I think you said, but, you know, part of us just resists this dependence, um, you know, helplessness, this you know, that we're powerless to transform ourselves as part of it just resists that, that we just don't, we don't like that, right? We don't like powerlessness. Um, We want to, I don't know, you know, the whole idea of Abraham and Sarah trying to take matters in their own hands, and here's Hagar, on the surface, that seems like, well, that's a crazy thing to do. But in a sense, we I think all the time we're sort of hijacking God's transformation and trying to take it in our own hands because, you know, 
part of our fallenness is we're just not comfortable with stuff being in God's hands, right? Or or not in our hands, maybe. I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, I think there's always the war between uh, us trying to be self-sufficient. I mean, let's just say like this. Let's use another picture that the Bible talks about. Like, uh, abide in me as I abide in you. Mm -hmm. Okay, but how many of us today genuinely say, not perfectly, but I abided in Christ today? I mean, I can't say that. I can say that I I prayed this morning and I I had some meditation. And then I can also say that I forgot about that until right now. (laughs) Right. 100%. And I I think in some, some level, like, I think it was one of my covenant props talked about, like, I'm a, he's t- telling on himself, but I'm a functional atheist. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I believe in God, but then I function kind of as this atheist who i got to make things happen. Right. I've got to figure it out. Right. I've got to take care of myself. Right. So I think there's that at play. But I was looking for this quote that um, I'd like to read also. It's a, uh, I'm reading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I'm not really personally in this place right now, but I think it's a, a very uh, applicable book to uh, today. But he quotes, he quotes. Uh, I think another reason, thinking of Abraham taking matters into his own hands, because God's promise rarely bears fruit in the season that we want it mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so he there's this quote from a Japanese theologian that says, "God walks slowly." because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are so accustomed. It is slow, yet it is lord over all other speeds since it's since it is the speed of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Well, so I think there's a, also a measure especially today with how how accustomed we are to things happening somewhat rapidly. Yeah. Uh, we're very impatient when it comes to God's timing and fruition. And we're very impatient with, with the spiritual process. So we want to take a matter of our own hands. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, we're sort of utilitarian about most things. Like if you can do it now or do it later, why would you wait? Why would you do it later? Um, and so this sort of where, you know, as as you say, God moves at a certain speed, but that's part of the whole point. You know, he didn't make the promise to Abraham and Sarah and then sort of forget about it for a while. And, you know, I'll get to it. It's in my calendar. You know, it's on my list. You know, he waited until it seemed impossible to fulfill for a reason. That, you know, he part of us waiting for him to fulfill his promise is part of our maturation a necessary part of our maturation because we would make God into a genie that we rub and get what we want immediately and he's more interested in being trusted Uh, and therefore waiting is just part of his plan that we hate and I do think you know you you talk about abiding abiding in the mind bearing fruit you know there's a there's a sentence in that passage that I think we again functionally atheists don't always believe where jesus says apart from me you can do nothing you know it's in that john 15 passage i think or john 5 i can't remember yeah, um, john, uh, 
uh, where, you know, we don't think apart from me, we can do nothing. I, you know, I don't know that I believe apart from him, I can do nothing. I mean, I believe it because in the Bible, intellectually, I believe it, but I function as if I can do some things and then I need help where this is a transformative thing where I have to participate in the transformation and the, participa the participation involves waiting and it involves praying, it involves uh, trust and dependence. Like there's a part for me to play, but none of that actually doesn't, you know, he still has to do it and I have to wait for him. And that's just something that in the waiting, I think one of the reasons we want to take control is a bunch of other reasons, but it's, it's, I think what Abraham and Sarah were thinking, I'm not sure God's going to come through here. I mean, I'm just afraid he's not going to keep his promise. So I'm going to jump the gun. Now, we wouldn't say that. I mean, we don't believe that intellectually. But functionally, we're like, can I really count on God to do this? And But what we say, and that's where I really do like George Peterson, when he's questioned about if he's, believes in God or not, he says, who has the audacity to say something like that? He says, I try to act as if I believe mm -hmm. God exists. And so you say, you know, we, we would say that. And if we really want to examine ourselves in the faith and you know, obviously not go to shame or anything like that, but just look at what we do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't right. matter what we say. Right. Right. I can right. say a lot of things. Right. But let's look at, at what we do. Because that, or what we do and how we live and lean into the world, actually, we're reflects what we really believe yeah yep yeah and so that's sort of functionally can the galatians get to the point where they in you know internalize deeply the principle that keeping a law is a impossible and b does nothing for them and that's that's the point paul keeps trying to drive home and that's the point that we have to have as well that you know we have to be transformed in order to have our have our life resemble anything like a law of love or you know a law of Christ. Um, and he has to do the transforma transformation. We have a part to you know again pray, read, you know, serve, live in community. But all those things don't act. All of our actions don't transform. They're just sort of vehicles God uses and we have to wait for him. Uh, and man, that's, I think you can see it, you know, you see it in the Old Testament, certainly in, in our society where, you know, you order something and if it doesn't get delivered the next day, something's wrong, you know? Uh, that's just, I mean, we've just become so accustomed to, you text somebody, you, you expect a reply like immediately and we just live in an instantaneous feedback society and part of what spiritual growth involves is waiting you know wait on the lord is i just think so, such a foreign idea for us but i think it's you know it's, it's literally what abraham and sarah didn't do and what they needed to do so that's sort of as i'm you know it's an obscure passage and you could probably get into a lot of arcane details about it. But I think the main idea is clear, especially in light of the whole rest of the book. Um, and it's, you know, penetrating is, yeah, why do I resist? 
God's transformation? Do I, you know, why do I not want to rely on him? Do I, am I just afraid he's not going to come through? Do I not want to wait all the above, I guess, right? You know, we're basically describing the process of spiritual transformation. Um, I do think in this sense, go ahead. Well, uh, not to prolong, because it feels like we're coming to some mm-hmm. sort of conclusion, but I just think uh, if I had to say it's one thing, maybe it's, yeah, I, I would say fear. Fear, yeah. Like it's, it's fear yeah. that causes us not to live in grace. Fear is, seems diametrically opposed to faith and to love. Um, I think trust, we stopped. Like Did fear. we stop? I don't know if we stopped updating here, but let's, uh, let's, Let's continue as if we haven't, because part of my screen's frozen. You're still good, but do you see the okay. counter counting? The counting uh, pause twenty four oh seven. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm not quite sure what that's about. Um, if if that did happen, you know, I'll just put an ending onto it or something. Okay. Uh, if it okay. didn't, uh, I mean, I think that's right. It, it's basically fear, lack of trust, and uh, so you know, let's leave it there. You know, trust in the Lord. You know, wait on the Lord. Uh, that's not just waiting for something someday that'll happen, but the waiting is one of the things that's happening. I think. Uh, so let's end it there. Um, Till next week, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks. Be sure you're subscribed to our podcast wherever you listen and on our YouTube channel. Just search Rogue Table Talks.